Yep. This is Fundraising Radio, and today's a guest speaker with Jim Conner, member of Sand Hill Angels, and a founder of a company that got acquired by J.P. Morgan Chase back in the days. And this episode will mainly talk about pitching to investors, reaching out to investors, working with angel groups such as Sand Hill Angels themselves, and getting your company acquired. So, Jim, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Sand Hill Angels. Well, there's a lot to talk about there, but I'm going to make it very short and brief because I'm sure people want to get to the more uh, relevant parts of this, but make a long story short. Uh, I didn't actually uh, elect to become, uh, uh, just do a startup. I got fired one day. And uh, back in those days, in the 80s, the idea of leaving your company or just uh, quitting and going into a startup and doing it and raising money right away was not really acceptable. So uh, I got fired one time. Uh, the job, the whole uh, group, my whole group got laid off. And I thought, well, given the severance I had, I could um, uh, probably make it for nine months and decide if I could find something to do worthwhile, find a company. Uh, and eventually that worked out that nine months. And make a long story short, after nine months, I was too far along to stop. You know, I had I had a, a shared office. I had a, one employee. I had <laughs> telephones and copier <laughs> lease payments, all that kind of stuff. So I decided to go for it. And, uh, you know, a number of years later, it actually took 18 years. And, you know, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success and 18 years to uh, realize that you're an overnight success, I suppose, something along those lines. But uh, I got lucky. And I want to say this, that in my opinion, all acquisitions, anybody gets acquired, there's a certain element of timing and luck. You can have the greatest game plan. You can have a great business. The key is you um, you either going to go be, uh, be acquired because you have growth that is phenomenal and, and measurable and consistent, or you have a technology that another company wants to buy because they just needed to integrate it into their product or they're afraid their competitors will integrate it into and, and, and compete against them. So um, that's it. Long story short, uh, I had gone through two failed acquisitions also. And I learned so much about the acquisition process by having two failures. Yes, it hurt my ego. It did tremendous, uh, somewhat damaged my whole self-esteem at that point. But I recovered. I found out later it wasn't my fault. And uh, I used that information, that experience to make it through the third, uh, the third uh, exit opportunity. Right, right, right. Exactly. Uh, I've talked to multiple founders who exited their companies. They say that you know others think of them as like wise men. And in fact, most of them say it was just good timing. That's it. It was. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, but um, I didn't answer the Samuel Angel's question. Do you want me to talk? Right. Yeah. yeah. So I was about to ask you that. So uh, when you have an exit, you know, I always say everybody's your best friend. Everybody you've ever met now comes back to you. And as you just alluded, people who have exits are no wiser the day after the exit than they were the day before the exit. They maybe just got through the process. But I joined Sandhill because uh, having it known or being uh, visible enough that I had a good exit, a lot of entrepreneurs who were friends of mine, frankly, or acquaintances approached me and said, can you help me? And one thing led to another. Eventually, it came down to, can you invest in a company? And I realized uh, that I didn't have the background or the experience either to make to correctly identify what was an investable company and what was not. And so I, that was the reason I looked at two or three groups and I just had a great chemistry connection with Sandhill. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I think the mutual feeling was mutual and I joined them right away. That's quite a few years ago, probably now 16 years ago that happened, 15, 16 years. Now, and then I'll add that Sandhill is a broad investor in early stage. Uh, it is a, probably up to 130 people now. They've been around a long time. They have a great track record, in my opinion. They also have um, a good active investors. You know, when you look at an angel group, you really want to look at the uh, people who are members and are they lead investors? Are they followers? Are they diversified? Are they focused on one industry? 
There's a lot of research out there uh, on every angel group that you can do and, and know about them before you approach them. And I would suggest that it's always a little bit of a, uh, not a turnoff, but um, uh, it's something that uh, the investors will say, well, if you don't know anything about us, have you not even gone to our website? And frankly, a lot of people haven't done that. So, but Santa's a great group. There's Band of Angels, there's Angels Forum, there's uh, the Berkeley group, the Berkeley Angel group. Many, many angel groups are in the Bay Area here. Right, that's true. I mean, there is a good reason for why uh, San Francisco is called the uh, you know, headquarters of uh, startup fundraising, basically. <laughs> so um, let's talk just a little bit more about Sandhill Angels. You've asked uh, some good questions, and one of the major ones that ask for all investors: Are you stage and industry agnostic, or are you trying to focus on something very specific? Well, this is the way uh, all I think all angel groups work. Uh, yes, some have a very specific focus, such as life science, life science angels, essentially does only life science uh, investments. If it's a, a broader group, meaning uh, no particular sector focus, then you're going to have to focus on people in the group who have experience in your industry. If you know, you really think about it, you know, and I say to people, entrepreneurs, put yourself in the place of an investor, you know, it's, you can do that and say, if I have no no experience in this industry. Let's just say it's broadcasting. Make a, take a very simple example. Why am I going to invest in a broadcast company? Let's say, um, you know, web broadcast. If nobody in my group has the uh, background experience to stand up and say, I've looked into this company. I know their technology. I know what they're doing. We vetted the individuals who are founded the management team. We think they have a good business plan. We're ready to invest. If nobody in the group has that expertise or experience to do that, it's probably a non-fit for that angel group. Okay. Right, right, right. And let's talk, let's switch from talking about Sandhill Angels towards more of a founder side. So uh, one of the questions that I frequently get is valuation. So um, there is always a way to hurt yourself in multiple ways. And one of them is uh, setting up an improper valuation. What can you say about that topic? Well, it is one of the earliest of all showstoppers, you know, and I, I, uh, uh, I'm not as active now, frankly, but I used to ha do a lot of meetings with startup entrepreneurs first time, uh, those entrepreneurs who it's their first go or first round, whatever early round it was. And I would tell them, look, your valuation's really out of the range. And I'm only telling you to give you that feedback if nobody else has told you, I'm trying to hurt your feelings or, or challenge you. I'm just telling you, it's not going to get you uh, early traction. And the answer or response was, well, we already have 200K. I'm looking, we're looking for a million dollars or 750. We'll say we're looking for 750,000. We already have 200K soft circled, meaning a soft kind of probably will invest if you get others commitment. <laughs> and uh, they've accepted that valuation. Well, that doesn't really go very far, frankly. If you've only got 200 yeah. out of a 750 round who have agreed or indicated tentative agreement, you really don't have a strong case for that valuation. And until you get, and many times they are uh, third parties, meaning they're, I mean, they're related to you in some way, shape, form, friends, family, whatever. And until you get a true independent investor to say what they believe the value is, you should really just take all, uh, all in a way, not offers, but all comments and say, I'm looking for data points on the valuation. Uh, so what happens if you don't, if that valuation is too high, it's an easy, I'll pass. It's so easy to say I'll pass. And the reason is you're probably going to fail and stall. Now it hurts the entrepreneur the most because they've wasted six months trying to get an unrealistic valuation. Then they move into a panic mode. Oh, guess what? We've lowered our valuation. Can we re-engage? Well, they're short now. They're really short on money. They're running on fumes. It's a sad story, but I've seen it repeated innumerable times. 
So just to get to what should we do, I think you ask all the investors you talk to, can you give me a ballpark on what valuation sounds reasonable from what you know so far? See, only from what you know so far. You may bring more evidence in, more data, more research in to show that you warrant a higher valuation, but just get some data points. And they're not out to hurt you. They're just out. They're, they're not there to hurt your feelings. They're here there to give you a range. Uh, and, and if I was to raise money, I would just, every time I talk to somebody and say, what's your valuation? I'd say, well, that's what I'm, I'm here to ask you about. I'm trying to get a sense of your, your sense of valuation because it is an investor's market. There's no question about it. And uh, it's more important to get the right investor with the right amount of capital to get you to the next milestone. And that's what's most important to you. So I always say, if you think about how rounds go, and I know I'm taking a lot of time on this, but you want to reward your early investors, okay? If you think about this, you really want to reward them with a not a, not a ridiculously low value, but a valuation that's sufficiently in, enticing that if you're successful with their money, your value goes up. Now, you have now, with a higher valuation on your next round or hitting major milestones, you've now given them unrealized gains because then now your value is higher. They invested you with a valuation of, let's just say, 2.5 million. Pick something very low. Now you're worth 5 million. Well, they doubled their their valuation on you. You know, for every dollar invested, it's worth $2. They become your your public relations <laughs> investor outreach uh, service. <laughs> they tell their friends. You know, some people get together at parties and they show pictures of their grandkids or their kids or whatever. Investors get together and talk about their startups. <laughs> and they talk, and, and they, you know, it's all about bragging rights. And so what you want to do is empower your investors to get excited on that after that first round. Oh, man, I got in early. And they start talking about it. You know, if I hear that, I go, well, that guy got in early. He took a little bit of risk, but that was smart. What's the valuation? Five million? Well, he's in or she's in. I'll look at it. Okay. So that's the reason for a lower valuation in my mind. Now, there's another side to it. The entrepreneur thinks that they're doing great and, uh, you know, they've got this great company and they don't want to give up that much because they don't want to lose control of the company. Well, the minute you take investors in, frankly, you do lose control of the company because you're going to have a board. Okay. Every major decision in a startup is is approved or uh, rec I'm sorry, uh, you know, approved by the board, like it or not. And so the very fact that you have independent people or investors on your board means you have lost a certain amount of control. And it's not the end of the world. If you have a good board, they're going to be another uh, strength or another uh, positive point for investors to see that there is governance in place. So I talked a little bit too much on this, so I'll stop here and see if that is enough information for what you're looking for. That is enough information and okay. it's, it's a good broad answer. I mean, specific answer. So thanks for that. And okay. let's talk about fundraising now. So uh, let's pretend that we got the valuation right. What's the next step for a founder, especially right now when, uh, with this pandemic? And uh, so let's pretend that we have uh, some sort of revenue, some sort of product, and our valuation is somewhat correct. What's next? Well, you've got uh, you've got a valuation, you've got a lead investor. That does matter, right? So you've got a, a, do you have a term sheet? That's my question. Do you have a term sheet? No, I don't. Not yet. Right. So you don't have a term sheet. So you need to find the lead investor. You can talk to everybody in the world, but try to understand or discern during your conversation if the organization you're talking with uh, will be a lead investor, meaning they will write the term sheet, they will set the terms, they'll set the valuation, they'll set the initial board membership, they'll set the uh, vesting, uh, uh, the vesting of the stock, of the existing stock as well as the you know, amount of stock and all that kind of stuff. And that's what you really have to have 
uh, to get going. It's ideal if you can find two lead investors who will share the deal, you know, but you need at least one. Once you have that, you have a term sheet. Now you go into marketing mode of the term sheet and you leverage the reputation, hopefully it's positive, of the lead investor with everybody else you talk to and you assist that lead investor in syndicating or bringing in other investors to participate in the deal, in the offer. Okay, the term sheet is essentially an offer to invest. So uh, that is quite a shift because your, your story changes now. It changes from we're looking for the right lead investor. We have this opportunity. This is what we believe is right. Uh, we've got validation of these points. And of course, this has to be woven into a story, which I'll talk, I, I'll talk more about that if you like. Uh, then it's a matter of getting that term sheet negotiating. And, you know, um, most of the time, here's what happens. You have to realize term sheets are sequential. So term sheet today, make in, take in 750000 Term sheet tomorrow, take in another maybe a million, million and a half. Now term sheet later on. And each term sheet, each new investor coming in, rewriting or writing a new term sheet, essentially gets to put their terms on top of the existing investors. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, not in terms of changing the stock, but in changing the board membership, the pricing, so on like that, as well as other provisions that may harm or hurt the existing investors, depending on, on the situation. You know, you can have uh, uh, many, many terms, such as a reset of the stock option pool. You can have uh, various other pre preferences given to the new investors, uh, preferences when the investor gets a decision. Typically, it's the uh, investment preference to return in, in the way capital is returned when the company is sold or liquidated. So uh, each new term sheet uh, rewrites some of those terms. And so the first term sheet does not uh, does not dictate your direction forever. And you may have a weak term sheet in the beginning, but you'll get stronger ones later on down the road. So I, I really think the most important thing, if I could put it bluntly, because you're going to take some money and you're going to have to hit some milestones, is to get the right group of investors who will use their contacts and industry experience to advance the company correctly. Uh, that's that's the bottom line in my perspective, or from my perspective. Perfect. And it's a tagline. I like that approach. And let's talk about that storyline that you mentioned earlier. So let's talk. Uh, can you just give me some strategies of giving a good pitch? Because I think that many founders just underestimate the, the pitch giving itself. So when you actually speak, not the slides that you create, but the speech that you give to the right. investors. Right. So the very typical demo day at a accelerator or any type of event is I'll, I'll use my name. Hi, I'm Jim Conner. I have an application that solves a problem about the way people spend money on entertainment. I'm just making this up on the fly. Okay. Um, we have a, we have an application that lets you select any, any type of entertainment you want, queue it up, look, rate it, look at the ratings of others, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Now we hear these all the time. This is a typical scenario. Uh, and it's not in a story format. And that hurts the entrepreneur for several reasons. One, the most, the biggest reason it hurts the entrepreneur is it's not memorable. Okay. And why are you at a demo day speaking to investors? Because you want to engage them. And what does the investor do after the demo day is over? They drive home and they have dinner and they go to sleep. And the next day they wake up. And if you haven't told them a story, which is in our DA for memories, they've forgotten about you. They don't even remember who you are. Frankly, they heard five to 10 to 12 stories that uh, pitches that day. And they're all kind of a mix and uh, you email them and you don't get anything back. And it's the reason that you didn't have your pitch in a memorable format, which is typically a story format. We're all growing up with the movies and television. Look at the story format, which is 
situation today, dissatisfaction or problem, which leads to conflict, now a solution we have, why it matters. Why it matters to you, why it matters to the market, who cares about it, really? And if you can do that, one, it's a lot more fun to give the pitch. You can have some humor in it. You can make it a little lighthearted. You can drill down on the data when you need to. But the investor can relate that story. You see, if you go to a good movie, you think about this. Oh, I've got to tell you a good one. Uh, Hamilton, great play, right? Big time musical. Uh, I can pretty well, I went to it. I can pretty well tell you the Hamilton play story, you know, uh, what it was and how, and all the timing and everything else. And of course, the, uh, the duel that took place and what happened. But I couldn't tell you if you got up and just read something to me. So you want to put your pitch into a format, which again goes, um, we have a massive problem. We have experienced a massive problem in our healthcare system. Okay, it's a statement, right? And then you talk about what that problem is. You talk about the, uh, the extent of the problem, what the costs are. Then you talk about your solution to the cost. Uh, and, uh, oh, I have to add one more. And you talk about who cares about it. And, mo and here's important. You add, why are you doing this? I'm doing this because my sister or my brother had this disease. We were devastated by it. We had no alternative. Uh, we did all the research. There was no reasonable alternative. And I said, with my background in life science, I got to find an alternative. And I undertook the research. I found a grant from, uh, you know, life, uh, some of the grants available out there. And uh, I have found a technology or a life science uh, solution to this disease. And I uh, want to see it through to help to vindicate my sister's death, if you will, and uh, help people out there who have a similar disease. Something like that. You see, that's, a, that's, a, that's got some emotion into it. Okay. Absolutely right. Emotions is pretty much key, especially at the early stages. So keep. I know my timeline is a little bit wrong here, and we should have started probably with this topic, but you know, I only remember about now. So when is the good timing to start fundraising? So what should you have prior to beginning this fundraising process? Should you have a, a set of documents? Should you have a, a advisory board? Or what's that? Let's say two or three most essential things that you should have prior to starting. You know, Constantine, that's probably the most important question you've asked right now so far. The other stuff is all good, but this is a, <laughs> you know, I'm going to give you a couple of premises here. For a startup to get far enough along to begin to talk to investors, seriously, they're going to need roughly two, maybe three years. Okay. That's, that's what we see. Maybe more, but two to three years. Now, if you're going to launch a company or do a startup company or believe you have a technology that merits this approach. You really have to know a lot more about the market than just, I think I have a solution to some problem that exists out there. And uh, what I have seen some excellent uh, counseling be about is the amount of due diligence an entrepreneur or an early stage team should do before they launch the company or launch their technology. You know, uh, when you tell this story, you're going to tell the story, you're going to include the research you conducted and what you learned during the research that convinced you that this was a worth, worthwhile effort that you're pursuing. Well, that's part of your due diligence before you actually launch the company. You can do your, you can start developing a product, do a whole lot of stuff. You can be keeping your full-time day job if you wish, do a whole bunch, but do due diligence. Speak to corporate, speak to customers, speak to whoever is going to be your end user or your referral source. Speak to distribution, talk to them because these questions are going to come up during your pitch. Okay. 
And you're going to say, that's an interesting question, what we found. I believe this first, but our research showed we, this is the reality in the market. See how powerful it is? So what, when should you start to talk to investors after you've uh, validated your ideas? And it's a lot easier to validate and change your idea before you've gotten spent money on doing a product than it is after you've spent money. Because once you're committed and you're on a product develop path, you're down the road and you go, oh my God, we just realized this isn't right for the market. Very, very hard to do that. You get uh, mutiny out of the team. They're upset that you made this change or want to make this change. So the more research you can do, and I'm not saying you're going to defer your startup forever, but the more research you can do and due diligence you can conduct to be sure you're on the right target, the better it is. I guarantee you, if you spend a year doing that research, you're going to change your mind. You're going to change your direction several times based on the results mm -hmm. of the research. So, okay, move ahead, get all that done. You get a team. Uh, do you need advisors? Well, it's always nice to have advisors if they're recognized, okay, if they're recognized. <laughs> and you can get advisors pretty easily, but, you know, having people who have experience in the industry is, is key when I say recognized. Um, and then the most, the next thing is to start, you know, your advisors, by the way, are probably going to be your best source of uh, introductions to investors uh, in, in, you know, separately, okay? So good advisors. So when you talk to somebody that's knowledgeable and they might be an investor, you say, I'd like to ask you to get them get them to be an advisor, either formal or informal. Formal is always good, but informal is fine. And then as, they, you, as an advisor, you get the opportunity to spend more time talking to them about what you found, about your technology, hearing their feedback. Eventually, those advisors may become investors or they will refer, give you personal introductions to those who are investors. So advisors are a very thing, good thing to do. As you talk to investors, then you're going to say, um, I welcome your comments on where we should be valuation-wise, and do you think we're ready to try to pursue? There, is there anything missing that in our presentation we should solve first or address first before we mm -hmm. make mm -hmm. a serious presentation to an investor group? Hear that out, address those issues, uh, and uh, take that information and go forward. Okay. That's wonderful advice. I love it, and it's short, precise, great, okay. great advice. Uh, so let's talk now about you yourself as an investor. Are you investing right now during this pandemic or are you waiting for the uh, dust to settle down? Well, I'm waiting, but I have to say this, that I've been doing this 14, 15 years. And so I have a portfolio of a lot of companies. Some have failed, some are still there. Mm. And the most important thing for many of us who are older in terms of the time we've been doing this is to keep the existing companies we have alive. So we're trying to keep mm. powder dry and keep these companies alive because that's what we, we need to do. Secondly, we don't know how long this, uh, pandemic is going to uh, continue and we truly at least I don't know the economic fallout so far the markets have been fairly resilient we had a big drop we've had a comeback now we're in the first week or second week of June here 2020 markets have bounced back had a bad day yesterday but you do want to realize that psychologically when especially angel investors get have these big downside a downdraft in the market when their portfolios go down they become naturally more conservative more naturally more mm -hmm. hesitant so with all the turbulence or volatility in the market, which, you know, frankly, most angel investors are, are, are there, they are there by default, that causes them to, to hesitate. On the other hand, there is an argument, and I see lots of activity going on in the discussions. Term sheets are still being written, and I see the angel groups are still very active. Again, they're doing it remotely through uh, Google Meet or Meetup or Zoom or Skype for that matter. There's no reason not to keep talking. I wouldn't be, uh, the word, I wouldn't be offended if people just took longer, right? That's just going to happen. 
Great. But, uh, but it's okay. Yeah, this is good. I, but my particular situation is I'm investing in one, uh, one education company right now, which I operate, and the other ones I'm keeping the company's live. So uh, that's where I stand. That's, that's and very straightforward. I love it. Yeah, so okay. last question for today's interview is the call to action. So what's that one thing that listeners should do as soon as this episode is over? So is it, I know, reaching out to advisors? Is it reviewing their pitch deck? Is it trying to pitch on some you know demo day or whatever it is? Well, this is going to be very straightforward and simple, and it's what I do. Because I do a show, I do a podcast like you, and I have a t- I've had a TV show called Game Changers Silicon Valley, where I interviewed uh, entrepreneurs and investors and so on. Gamechangers.tv. Uh, didn't intend to give you the plug on that, but uh, <laughs> I, you know, when I open a show, podcast or a show, I have about 15 to 30 seconds to give the person a reason to hang in there or click off. Mm-hmm. And so what I do is I write an introduction out. Hi, Jim Connor here. Or I don't even say hi, Jim. I always start with a situation, okay? And then I record it on my iPhone or any cell phone, doesn't matter. Then as I go through the day, especially in my car, I have Bluetooth there with the speakers, I play it back over and over and over. And so I'm out for two, three hours doing errands. I'm playing it over and over. And I also record maybe three different versions of it just so I can hear you know, long version, short version, mid version, what have you. And then by the time I get back home that day, I do it at least a day in advance because I, I should do it more than a day, but I do it at least a day mm-hmm. in advance. I rewrite the entire thing because I listened to myself over and found out that A, a lot of my comments were extraneous. They weren't necessary. B, uh, I was too long and too long-winded. Remember, I have 30 seconds, maybe 45 seconds to get their interest. So that's what you're working on. So what everybody today, in my opinion, should work on is their first 45, I'll go, their first minute. Just give it their first minute. Just work on the first minute. If you get your, if you get your purpose today of why you're here and you want me to listen to you, why it matters and who cares about this idea that you have well, that's me i have to i have to get to, sorry about that no worries. I, thought I turned everything off um uh, if you can give me get that out in 30 seconds to 60 seconds and get that right and play that back on iphone you just advance your opportunity uh, significantly for engagement mm-hmm. so that's it give your first minute pitch to your iphone give three or four versions of it write it out speak it into your iphone directly or use your uh your earbuds and uh, listen to it over and over and you will start to evolve a better pitch. That's my uh, suggested call to action. That's a great call to action. It's easy to do and you know, it really can improve your elevator pitch. I think that a lot of people really struggle with that. You know, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Let me ask one more thing going, yeah. that's really important for entrepreneurs. When you pitch at any level, think about where you are, who you're talking to, and all you want to do is get to the next step. You know, there are people who go to coffee meetings with mm-hmm. investors who want to write, get, want them to write a check. You know, sometimes I've said, well, what would you like to get, see from me next? They go, well, we'd love it if you write a check. Well, <laughs> thank you for the yeah. blindness. You know, you haven't even, you haven't even addressed the real issue of are you a fit and the market and so on like that. Just realize what you want to do is the next step. It is a series of baby steps which you can achieve and get and, and get momentum on. By the way, investors, uh, you know, most entrepreneurs, they, none of them have invested in companies, so they don't understand the disappointment when somebody has spent two, three years helping a company grow a lot of time, a lot of effort, and the money, and the company goes up in smoke because of some really stupid things that happen along the way, inexperienced management, whatever. So um, most investors say, well, my time is valuable to me, 
And I want to, it's not that I don't believe you, but I want to be careful because I only have a certain amount of time in a day. I have some funds, but a certain amount of time. And as a early stage invest uh, company, you're going to need some support and some ongoing handholding, I think. And therefore, I got to be careful. I got to be diligent and I got to be, um, uh, I got to filter out the ones that don't fit my uh, reasons and so on like that. By the way, when you get a no, all a no says, I'm not no for today under the circumstances I'm operating. Now, sometimes it's a hard no. Sometimes it's a soft no. Sometimes I'm just not ready. And I got to say, the number of times I hear people say no's who I who I am friends with, I know it has nothing to do with the company. Okay. So a lot of no's have zero to do with the company and everything to do with external events that uh, are not part of the uh, company's pitch. Okay. Exactly. That's a perfect note. And, you know, uh, from me, myself, I'll just uh, make sure that you remember the call to action people just... Review your pitch, basically. Review your pitch multiple times. Spend hours and hours on it. It's fine to spend hours on something that's you know, one minute long because people just struggle with, especially with elevator pitches. Uh, they're, they're usually horrible at them. So thanks a lot, Jim, for, for giving such a good call to action. I hope most of our listeners will actually do this. So thanks a lot for coming up, for taking your time, and to, for sharing your experience with, uh, with us today. Thank you. Okay, Constantine, thank you. Good luck. Hope your listeners uh, benefit from this and uh, uh, take care now. Okay. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Bye now.